welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. your Bibles with you today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2. If you like to go everywhere we're going to go, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 20. But if you're going to pick one, please pick Romans chapter 2. Well, when I was in high school in my senior year, um, I had to go take the ACT. And if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a college prep exam that they make you take now. It's horrible. They make you show up at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning somewhere and take a test for four hours. Now, if that's not bad enough, I was leaving there. We were celebrating and leaving the college where I was taking this test, I did a rolling stop on a stop sign right in front of a police officer. And so uh, my day just went from bad to worse as he pulled me over. And I, I kind of think that he wasn't mad that I ran the stop sign. I think he was mad that I did it in front of him and now I had interrupted whatever he was going to do. So he pulled me over and I, I got a ticket for that. Now for whatever reason at that time, at my age, I don't know if it's because I was 18 or high school or what it was, if, if you got a speeding ticket as a teenager back then, you had to appear before the judge. There was no just paying the speeding ticket. I had to go appear before the judge. So that morning I got up several weeks later, I got up, I put on my best blue jeans and my best cowboy boots. And I even remember what I was wearing it was a green button down shirt. And I had to go to court and I sit there and I watched this guy pass judgment on countless people. And then he called my name and I went, Oh no, I was going to plead guilty. I had done it. I had the money. Let's just get this over with. But I, I had to walk up in front of all of these people and I had to stand there. And I just kind of remember being in awe of this particular moment. Here's this judge and he sits up on what they call the bench back behind this giant tall desk. And he looks down at me and he says, what are you here for? I said, I ran a stop sign and I was dumb enough to do it in front of a police officer. And he said, where'd you run a stop sign at? And I said, well, I was back behind Kroger and I told him the road. And he considered that for a few minutes. I guess he was trying to make sure that there really was a stop sign there. I wasn't disputing it. And he goes, yeah, there is a stop sign there. He said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to pay my ticket and I want to get out of here. This is not fun, right? And so I, I was past judgment on. He said, okay, pay over here. Now that was a very small thing at the time. But for me, I just remember how big that seemed to me. Now, the reason I tell you that is when we think of God, we don't often think of him as a judge sitting behind a bench. But what the Bible tells us is that God is a judge who sits on a throne and mankind, all humans will stand before him and we will be judged for our lives. And that's what we're going to focus on today. If you weren't here last week, let me give you just a little bit of background as we continue on. So last week we started a new series called Before and After. We're going to be looking at about six, seven, eight different chapters in Romans that kind of detail who we are before Christ, what our existence looks like before Christ, and then it's going to switch and we're going to look at who we become after Christ. Last week we looked at Romans 1 and it told us about our sin and how we are separated from God. It started off with all humans reject God and then we begin to work other things in place of God. Moving from that, all humans kind of slide into chasing lust, and eventually humans live their lives void of all morality. Now, each of those is true for mankind as a, in general, since the beginning of humankind. Mankind has, has slid down this path. We see that more in our society in the past several years. We see our society moving down that scale, but I also see that in every individual. And what the end of the chapter, chapter 1, verse 32, told us is that because 
because of this, we all deserve death. And so Paul is going to continue on in Romans chapter 2, and he's going to be telling us uh, about how this death sentence works for us and why it works the way it does. I wanted to start off, though, showing you what that looks like in Revelation. So Revelation chapter 20, if you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, let me back up. The book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. Jesus has died. He's, he's been crucified. He's died. He's risen again and um, then ascended into heaven. So John, several years later, has this vision where he's drawn up into heaven and he sees Jesus in heaven and he sees God the Father. And in heaven, he can see not only what's going on now, but he can see the future. He can see the present. And he's told to record all of these things that are going to happen. And in, in Revelation chapter 20, he sees the future in the judgment of God on all human beings. Listen to what it says here. This is verse 11. John speaking. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So he's describing here being in heaven. He's seeing God sitting on a great throne, and it's a terrible image. This is not the smiling God that says, come, come here and give me a hug. This is a God that from his face, his glory is so bright, his perfection is so uh, bright that everybody runs from him, but they cannot hide from him. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So what you see in Revelation chapter 20 is the fulfillment of Romans 1.32. You see that when it says that we as human beings deserve death, you see that human beings, dead human beings, stand before God in all of his glory in heaven, and they stand before God as the judge, and they are assessed based upon their actions and punished accordingly. Now what Romans 2 is going to do is it's going to give us some insight into what happens or what happens or why it happens this way in Revelation chapter 1. It's going to answer some questions for us. It's going to answer the question of why does God judge this way? It's going to answer the question of what standard does God judge by? Thankfully, it's going to give us some alternatives to that second death. It's going to tell us how to avoid that, the good news. And he's also going to go into how not to avoid this judgment. So if you got your, your notes with you, our first take-home truth this morning is God alone can be judge of our actions because of his perfection. Read with me Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest does the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Keep your Bible open. We're going to come back to that. So Paul's going to start off talking about human judgment. Now, we as Christians, we know we are not to judge other people. We are not to judge their value based on what they do. But there is something innately true about every human being as God has given us the ability to see right and wrong. 
And so throughout all of human history, humans have been able to assess in other people. These people are behaving or acting the right way, and these people are acting the wrong way. That's something that you and I can do. We can identify what's right or wrong. So what Paul is saying here is that even us, we know that human beings should be judged. We know that punishment is deserved for certain actions. That's part of every human being. We know that. It just always seems to be everybody else's actions that need to be punished. Last year, a song came out, a country song by an artist named Hardy. It was, excuse me, it was on the charts for 23 weeks, which means it's a very, very popular song. It's called Wait in the Truck. Anybody in here ever heard the song Wait in the Truck? I don't know if it's a good song or a bad song. I've heard it. I, gotta, I guess I'll confess I kind of like it. And, and here's the way that the song goes. So it's a ballad. It's, it's telling the story of a man and the singer. He's driving down the road and he sees a woman hitchhiking. And he stops to pick her up and he's going to take her wherever he notices that she's beaten and bruised and bloody and her clothes are torn. And the crux of the song is he looks at her. He doesn't ask her what happened. He just says, where is he? Where is the man that has done this to you? And then, I don't know if I should say this in church, but this is just the way the song goes. He, he goes to the house, he kicks in the door, and he kills this abusive boyfriend or husband. And the whole song is based upon him chasing justice. I would say that the song is a celebration of justice. This is the chorus of that song singing, uh, sung by the lady. She says, I never thought my day of justice would come from a judge under a seat, but I knew right then I'd never get hit again when he said to me, wait in the truck. Now, I'm not sitting here advocating, please don't go kill people for any reason this afternoon. I'm not advocating that. But I want to ask you a question. In a fallen world, why is that song so popular? 23 weeks charted, one of the most popular songs in the world for 23 straight weeks. Why do we like that? Because innately, all human beings, saved and unsaved, we long for justice. We know that people should be punished when they do wrong things. There are things that, that make us sick that we want to see people punished for. And, and so Paul's point right here is, is if you long for justice, justice in others for their sins, you innately also demand justice for your own sin, for your own sins. We all sin when we judge others. We demand justice for them. We also demand justice for us. And here's what's crazy about this. You and I are flawed. You, you and I are, are horrible people. We, we sin every day. We turn away from God. By His standard, we're dirty. If we can see a need for justice, how much more, who, uh, how much more can God, who is perfect, see a need for justice? See, God is the definition of perfection. He can look on every person and he can see what we've done right. He can see what we've done wrong. And he compares that to himself. He has the ultimate right to judge because of his perfection. As I was preparing for this, I was reading an article uh, about a judge in Ohio last year who was removed from the bench. That's fancy words for he got fired. And, and the, the article said that he was removed from the bench for a hundred different incidents over two years. And it listed being dishonest, disregard of the law, disregard of court orders, disrespectful of treatment of people who worked in the court. And for this reason, he was removed from the bench. Why? Why would we say you have no right to judge anymore? Was his knowledge of the law gone? No. Could he make the correct judgments on people based upon the law? He should still be able to do that. None of those things affect him. So why do we as a society say, if you do those things, you have no right to sit in a position of judgment? It's because we have this expectation of a judge 
that he is free of the crimes that he punishes others for. I'm not going to stand before a judge that sentences me for murder if he's planning on murdering somebody this evening. I don't want to be sentenced by a judge for speeding if he's going to drive 100 miles an hour on his way home. That disqualifies you from judging others. And so what Paul is saying is God is free of all sin. He's free of all imperfection, giving him the ultimate right to be the judge of us who are undeniably sinful. So as we continue to go through Paul's train of thought, he's going to answer a question. Okay, if God can judge, if he has the right to be judged, who will he judge? And the answer to that is any of us who are imperfect. Our next take-home truth is in God's judgment, the standard for innocence is perfection. Listen closely. I want you to hear this. We will stand before God one day. When you die here, you will be in the presence of God. There's no escaping it. There's no waiting for it. You will stand in his presence. And if you want to stand in his presence and you want to be judged, his standard for innocence is complete perfection. If you're planning on getting through there on how good you are, you better be perfect. Uh, listen to verses 3 through 6. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, that thou dost the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches and of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up, uh, treasures up for thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. For six, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So let me, let me say this. If you can look in the mirror today and you can find any imperfection in your life, the Bible calls that sin, you will be judged by God based upon those deeds. What does verse 6 say? That all men will stand before God and be judged by their deeds, by their actions. So God has a list of everything that you've ever done wrong. And when you go stand before the judge, he's going to read those before everybody. And we don't like that. Like, we kind of want, like, some balance. Uh, we want some balance. Like, well, yeah, I've done, I've done some bad things, but I've also done a lot, of, a lot of good things. And so there's this thing within humans that says, if I've done more good than bad, God's going to put those on a scale and weigh them out. And as long as I'm better than I was worse, then I'll be okay before God. That's not what the Bible says. And let me tell you, that doesn't even make sense. If I stood before that judge and he said, so you ran a stop sign, you deserve punishment. I said, yeah, but think of all the stop signs I didn't run. Doesn't that make me free? It doesn't work that way. If I stood before a judge accused of murder and I said, you know, uh, yeah, I killed that one person, but I've met a lot of people that annoyed me. I didn't kill them. Doesn't that make up for the one person that I did kill? The answer to that is no. You still deserve judgment for what you did. See, the standard is perfection. And even if you could be perfect from this moment going forward, it can't cover the imperfection of your life. In Revelation chapter 20, it tells us about this moment of judgment. And it says that in heaven, they're going to bring, bring out a bunch of books that have recorded every deed and every action in your life. And you're going to stand before God and he's going to read those. What would your book say about your actions and your deeds? I was curious about that, so I asked God. I said, God, can I borrow, can I borrow my book of deeds? And God said, yes. 
And he, he delivered, or he actually, he had the angel Gabriel deliver to me Brian's book of deeds. And you see, that's what it says. This is absolutely not a Matthew Henry Bible commentary that I covered with black paper. This is delivered to me from God. My, my book of deeds, what does your book say? Mine, I think, is probably pretty good. I've been better than a lot of people. I've done a lot of good things in my life. So, so let's just see if I can find what's in here. Let's see. 1994. Brian stole candy from Walmart and hid behind the clothes rack to eat it so his parents did not see him. Judgment. Guilty of sin. Punishment. Death. Separation from God. It didn't work the way I wanted it to. I thought there'd be some good things about how sweet of a kid I was, how I made all A's in kindergarten because I was really good with glue sticks and crayons. Apparently not. It's got to get better, though. As a kid, I didn't, know, I didn't know a whole lot. It's got to get better than that. Let's flip over to I'm a little bit older. So let's see. 19, 1999. Here we go. Okay. Brian got in a fight with his mother. I called her the B word. Judgment. Guilty of sin. Punishment, death, separation from God. It's got to get better than that. Preteen hormones. You guys know how that was. That was horrible, right? Let's, let's go to us a little bit older. Let's go a little bit older here. Two, 2006. Brian got in a disagreement with one of his best friends over whether Gretchen Wilson or Sarah Evans sung the song Suds in the Bucket. He ended up grabbing him by his throat as the discussion got heated. Judgment, guilty of sin, punishment, death, separation from God. Audrey, tell John I'm sorry about that, by the way. I really, I really hate that. It's got to get better. I get older from there. I get older from there. Let's go to 2010. 2010. Brian. That, I'm not reading that one out loud. Let's, let's move on. That was college years. Let's move on. 2016. I'm really growing up by this point. I've graduated college. I'm engaged. Brian spent years. Brian spent years praying for a godly wife. And in a fight, he demeaned her and screamed at her. Judgment, guilty of sin, punishment, death, separation from God. Okay, these are getting a little out of control. Let's try today. I mean, I'm a preacher. Let's try yesterday. Let's try yesterday. That wasn't a bad day for me. February 25th, 2023. No major events today. Yes! I made it. Just a normal day. With the standard pride, lust, anger, temper loss, bitterness, unforgiveness, gossip, and hatred. Judgment, guilty of sin, punishment, death, and separation from God. I've got a lot worse things in my book. You do too. And make no mistake, God has these books in heaven. And he will read before us every single thing that we've done. I'm going to ask you again, what's in your book? What, what will we stand before the judge and be accused of? But there is good news. There is good news because there are two different books in Revelation 20, or two different sets of books in Revelation 20. And the other book is called the Book of Life. And the book of life is simply a record of who has been saved. It's often called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's people who belong to Jesus Christ. People who have put their faith in Him. And the good news is this, is if your name is recorded in the book of life, all of the things in this book are covered in His blood. They're blotted out. 
and they don't matter anymore. So I want to ask you, I'm asking you what's in your book so you'll think about who you are. Now let me ask you this. Will your book be read before you and you will be punished by your deeds or are your deeds covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? Because that is the most important question today. And see, God's will is not for us to stand there and for him to punish us. That's not what God wants. A good judge doesn't look forward to punishing people. He wants people to quit sinning, to quit breaking laws. And we see that in verse 5. Look what he says here. Paul says this about God. He says, but after thy hardness, oh, I'm sorry, verse 4. He says, or despises you the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. Uh, forbearance there, that word simply means um, to his restraint. Longsuffering means patience. Or do you despise the restraint and patience of God? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Listen, what Paul is saying here is that God is restraining himself and he is being patient with us and he is enduring the sin of the world for one reason and one reason only. And his hope is that people will repent and turn away from their sin and turn towards him. God is holding his judgment back right now so that people can come to him, so that their, their sins can be forgiven. He is waiting on people to come to him, and that is what he is doing. Now, let me be clear. God is patiently waiting on mankind. He may be, if you're here today and you're not saved, God is patiently waiting on you. But just because God is being patient right now does not mean that your judgment is not pending. It is promised, if you do not turn to Jesus Christ, that judgment and that punishment will come and it will be carried out. If you died right now, God would be fully within his rights to punish you for what you have done. So how do we escape this? How do we escape this punishment? It's very simple. Your next take-home truth. In God's judgment, you can only be found innocent in Jesus Christ. Read with me verses 7 through 11. To them who by patient countenance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, eternal life. So that's the judgment. If you do those things, you will get eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, ignite, eh, big word, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil of the Jew first, but also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. So Paul's going to lay out here two ways the judgment of God can go. Judgment A on your take-home truths. If you were found innocent, you will be given eternal life. That comes from verses 6, 7, and 10. So it, so it asks the question, who is getting the judgment of innocence? Who is getting this eternal life? And this is the definition of those that get that. It says that those who have a patience continuous in doing well, seeking glory, honor, and immortality. Verse 10 says those who work good things. So, Brian, what you're saying to me is simply, if I want eternal life, I've got to be good. Yes, that's all you have to do. You just have to be good. Listen carefully. But the kind of goodness that God is talking about here is not something you can achieve by yourself. Being the best version of you that you can be is not good enough. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. It also tells us that all of our good works, all of the good things we do are like dirty rags compared to God's standard of perfection. See, our good is not good enough for God. So it says that we seek immortality. It simply means this, that we find Jesus. 
No other name in the history of the world offers you eternal life except for Jesus Christ. That is the only one, that is the only way that we can be good. Now, Jesus, Jesus talks of this. He talks about seeking immortality. He says that in this world, there are two different paths. The first path is the narrow way. It's small. There's not a lot of people going down it. And Jesus said this about the narrow way. It leads to eternal life. And Jesus says there is one entrance to the narrow path. Jesus said, I am the door. Only through me can you even get to the narrow path. But then he also speaks of the other path. He says, the wide path. And he says, this leads to destruction. Which brings us to the second judgment that Paul brings up here is the judgment of guilty. Point B on your take on truths. In which you will receive wrath and anger of God. This is verses seven through nine, or this is from verses seven through nine. And what it basically says is every human being who does evil. Who, who is that? Every human being who does evil. It's all human beings that do evil. And we're like, well, Brian, I don't know. Evil is a strong word because if you compare me to Hitler, Hitler was very evil. I'm not really that bad. That's true. Compared to Hitler, you're not bad as far as I know. But you're not being compared to Hitler. You're not being compared to the worst that human society has ever been created. You're being compared to the perfection of God. And by that standard, every last one of us are evil, dirty human beings. So everyone who does evil will receive the wrath and anger of God. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only difference between receiving judgment A, being called innocent, and, and receiving eternal life, and being called guilty and receiving the wrath and anger of God is your decision to follow Jesus Christ. Because there will be a judgment for your sins. There will be punishment for your sins. The question is, who is going to be judged and who is going to be punished? See, when Jesus came here, here's what he did. He, he prayed, played a cosmic game of switch. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't simply something that he had to do to make a good story. He took your place. Jesus Christ came here and he looked at us and he said, you've got too much sin. I see the wrath of God coming against you. I owe no death. God has no reason to be angry with me. Let God take out that punishment on me. And that's Jesus' work on the cross. Is he's taking my punishment on him. He takes the wrath and the anger of God on him so that I don't have to take it. And in his place, I get to stand innocent before God. We will not stand innocent before God on our own merits because that book promises us that we aren't. And listen very carefully. I, I know me, and I know you, and I know humans, so here's what we're all trying to do, especially if we're struggling with whether or not we should follow God. Here's what we want to do. We want to take what the Bible says, and we want to add an extra option. The Bible is very clear. You have two options. You stand before God, you take responsibility and punishment for your sin, or you accept Jesus Christ. That is the only two ways. But humankind has always wanted to circle around that and try to add some other way. So here is our next take-home truth. Write this down. There are no loopholes in God's judgment. There are no loopholes in God's judgment. Read with me verses 12 through 24. Stick with me. This gets a little dense, but I promise I'm going to explain it as best as I can. 
For as many have, uh, let me start again. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the mean uh, while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Behold, thou art called a Jew and re, um, restest in the law and make your boast of God and know his, and knowest his will and approve the things that are more excellent being instructed out by the law. And you are confident that, you're, um, that thou thyself art a guide of the blind and a light of them which are in the darkness. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou dost preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy, thy boast by the law, though breaking the law, dishonorest God, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. Let me explain all that really quick to you because that's a lot. The Jews often resisted the gospel. And the reason for that is the Jewish people were God's chosen people. He came to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and he made a covenant with him. He made a contract with him. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Out of your lineage will come the salvation of the world, Jesus Christ, and your people will follow me. And so Jews had been trained all of their life. You're special. You're protected. You have a, a special place in God's heart. And that was all completely true. And to set God's people apart, they had to follow what was called the law. So anytime you see the word law in scripture, it's usually referring to the law. And the law was simply rules that protected God's people and set them apart from other people across earth. The, the law recorded a civil code. Originally, the Israelites were supposed to have no king. The law recorded moral code. That's why every society on earth has celebrated adultery, but yet the Jewish people stayed away from it. It even had dietary restrictions to keep people different than everybody else. And the Jews believed that this made them different. So the Jews wanted to go stand before God and say, God, you gave me the law and I followed the rules and that makes me God. They were, or makes me good with God. That gives us a loophole around Jesus Christ. What Paul's argument here is, is that the purpose of the law was not to save people from God's judgment. The purpose of the law was to prove that people needed salvation from God's judgment. Because if you look at the law, it's 613 rules that are absolutely impossible to follow. Take a big one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We all know what that means. That's impossible to follow. Jesus went farther and he said, you don't even understand the rule. You think the rule means don't sleep with someone who's not your husband or wife. No, the rule means don't even lust after people who are your husband and wife. It's almost impossible for someone to follow their whole life. So it's silly to believe that the law will save anyone. Now for you and me, what does that mean? It points to a fundamental flaw in men is that we think that actions can save us. We think if I'm good enough, if I follow enough rules, if I go to church enough, maybe if somebody baptizes me, if I do all of these things, it will make me good before God. But Paul is pointing out that there is no loophole 
See, in Christian culture, I'm very scared of this in our context in Bible Belt America here. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who do not know Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who are church members that do not live for Christ. They show no symbol of belonging to Him. There are a lot of people that think they're going to heaven because they've done enough good things. They came to church on Easter. They came to church on Christmas. They gave a little bit of money when it suited them. And they think that when they stand before God, they're going to say, I was at church enough, and they're going to be okay. But the truth of the scripture is that that is not a loophole that will make you okay before a righteous and a perfect judge. Let's continue with this, 25 through 29. So Paul's going to continue talking about no loopholes. He says this, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which, by, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is neither a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. 29, listen to this. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Once again, that's really dense. So you need to understand this. For Jewish people, they put a lot of faith in being set apart, and a symbol for a Jew of being set apart from the world was circumcision. Now, I don't have time to teach on all that. If you need to know what that is, please find one of our deacons after church in the lobby and ask them about circumcision. Brother Larry was telling me this morning, he said, I just can't wait to teach somebody about that. So you ask him. I'm not going to explain it up here. What you need to understand is they were putting their faith in this symbol of being connected to God. And what Paul is saying is, well, that's wonderful if you're perfect. But if you break the law, if you break the rules, that doesn't matter. Here's Paul's main point. Outward things do not make you justified before God. For us as Christians, having your name on a church roll will not make you justified before God. Showing up every Sunday religiously will not make you justified before God. Being baptized will not make you justified before God. All of those things are supposed to be an outward showing of an inward change. That's what Paul says in verse 29. Is God is not judging what you're doing. He's judging your heart. Those things don't save you. They're supposed to be revealing the heart that's within you. See, Paul is saying that God will judge us based on our heart, and what he's looking for in our heart is faith in Jesus. See, Jesus talks about people who spends a lot of time focusing on the outward, and people who will come before him as a righteous judge and try to use that as an excuse to get into heaven. Jesus says this, he says, in that day, many people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, don't you know that we prophesied in your name? Don't you know we cast out demons in your name? And they're going to give this list of things that they did. Don't you know I was at church all the time? Don't you know that I gave a couple hundred dollars to missions one time? Don't you know that I got married young and I never got divorced? Don't you know all of the good things that I did? And here's Jesus' reply to that list of good things. Depart from me, you who commit iniquity. That word is sin. Depart from me, sinner. I never knew you. See, the standard for getting into heaven, the standard of being in God's presence, is not how good you can be, not how good of a life that you've lived. The standard for giving into heaven is whether or not you belong to Jesus Christ. 
So let me ask you this question. If you died today and you stood before God, which book would you be judged out of? I can promise you, you do not want to be judged out of your book of deeds and confronted with your sin and punished by the judge. But you can have your name written in that second book, in the Lamb's book of life. Read this. This is Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. It says, And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let me translate that. It says, Whosoever was not in this book was punished. What does that say about people who were in this book, the book of life? That they escaped punishment and judgment. The Lamb's Book of Life is nothing but a list written of people who belong to Jesus Christ. Last take home truth. To escape eternal death, you must belong to the Lamb. See, Jesus Christ is the Lamb. Live if you want to start making your way up here. Jesus Christ is the one who came here, and he came here without blemish and without spot, without sin, and he sacrificed himself for you. All of God's righteous judgment, all of the anger, all of the 2014 stuff that's in my book, God took that and he put it on Jesus Christ so that I could stand before God completely innocent. See, when I get to stand before God, let me tell you what it means to be saved. When you, as a saved person, stand before God, that book is completely blank, the book of deeds. And all God sees when he looks at you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees complete innocent, not because you got it, not because you made it work, but because Jesus Christ gave his innocence to you. Listen very carefully. Today, if you're sitting here, and you do not have your name written in the book of life, if you have never been saved, if you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you can fix that right now. And God is waiting on you. God has been working in your life. And I'll tell you what it feels like right now. Your chest is beating. You don't want to stand before God. You just want to leave this church as quickly as possible. Don't fight Him any longer. God wants you to come to Him. He wants to bless you. He wants you to have salvation. Every week I stand up here, and it's not because I'm pretty. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to come up here and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Today is that day. You don't have to walk out of here being judged by what you've done. You can walk out of here being judged by the perfection of Jesus Christ. If you're ready for that, come see me. It's so simple. God says, just faith. Just faith in Jesus Christ, and your whole eternity changes. Let's stand and worship.